Well, as we are right in the midst of the beauty and wonder of the Christmas season, I would like you to turn to, in your Bibles, to a very familiar passage of Scripture found in Luke chapter 2 and verses 15 through 20. If you just hold your places there for just a few minutes. We are in a year-long series, as you've heard me say so many times, but I always want to be sensitive to the visitors uh, who are among us, people who might be here for the very first time. Uh, all of 2017, we have been looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And during this Christmas season, we are looking at examples, lives that we can point to and look at that were related to the birth of Christ. So we've spent much of the year saying here, theologically, biblically, here is what a disciple is. Now let's look at some specific examples. Let's look at disciples who are doing that. And last week, we looked at John the Baptist, and we saw an absolute loyalty to Jesus. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the shepherds, and we are going to look at an intelligent faith. And I want to submit to you this morning that if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you will exercise an intelligent, reasonable faith. Well, in Luke chapter 2, our text this morning, as I mentioned, is verses 15 through 20. But I want to read verses 8 through 20 just because it is so familiar to us and such an important part of this Christmas season. And sometimes I think it's just good to read these classic passages of Scripture that we've heard, but we need to hear again and again and again until the day we go home to be with the Lord. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, our first point this morning is a different point of view. 
This morning, I want us to look at the shepherds from a viewpoint not often considered at Christmas. So we're going to come at this whole account of the shepherds from a slightly different point of view this morning. Now, we most often focus on the innocent, childlike faith of the shepherds. In fact, looking back on some of my old notes, I've preached on this a couple of times. How innocent their faith was, how childlike their faith was, that they believed so easily and so readily. We tend to focus on the fact that the shepherds were a despised and lowly class in the culture of their day, and that is true. They were. They were of the lowest or close to the lowest economic level. They were despised by other people. They were despised by those with higher income or higher political and business uh, power. And so they were a look, uh, a look down upon group of people. We don't know their names, and they're never mentioned again in the Bible. And yet they are very much an important part of Christmas. What we do know about the shepherds is very important. It is likely, in the context of what we read here, it is likely that they were humble, God-fearing men. I don't think you can walk away from this passage with any other conclusion. They were scared. It says they were filled with great fear, but they were totally receptive to what they heard. So even though they were afraid, they were totally receptive to what the angel told them. And they, we do know that they immediately obeyed the words of the angel as the very words of God himself. That's what we normally share about, talk about, sing about when we think about the shepherds. But again, I want us to look at them from a slightly different point of view this morning. I want us to consider the fact that these shepherds were intelligent men with an intelligent, reasonable, and well-thought-out faith. I want you to think about that with me. That they were people with an intelligent, reasonable, and well-thought-out faith in God. And so our second point this morning is a disciple's intelligent faith. The shepherds, the shepherds believe that, that the God of Israel rules the world and sovereignly oversees and guides the events of history. You're going to say, Pastor Tim, how do you know that? We know that from the very passage I read for you. They believed that there is a God who is alive, the God of Israel who rules the world and sovereignly then and now is overseeing all the events of history. They believed. They had to. They believed that there is an intelligent God who can be known and who communicates clearly with people. This God is not aloof. He is not distant. And he is not unconcerned. I want you to think that these though part of a lower class. These are Jewish men. Now I say men because in the context of this particular, particular historical setting, it would have been certainly not, I don't want to say ever, but it would have been very unusual for one of the shepherds to be a woman. 
partly because most of the field work was done by the men, and secondly, because in this particular cultural context and setting, it would have been somewhat dangerous for women to be out in a field working like they were. So we are, as most have, uh, consider that they were men. But I want you to think that they are Jewish men. They are Jewish men brought up in the Hebrew faith. And there are certain stories that they would have known, even if they couldn't read. This was a very oral culture, and they would have known things from the stories that were told. And one of the accounts that they would have been most familiar with would have been Moses at the burning bush. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. This is a story they would have known well. And I want us to look at that for just a few minutes this morning to help us get a sense for what the shepherds would have known at this time in history. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 and verses 6 through 8, and this will be on the screen, this is what we read. God called to him, called to Moses from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, I am the God. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. I want you to intelligently think with me that this passage in Exodus is filled with powerful thoughts about who God is. First of all, I want you to know that God spoke to Moses. The living God of heaven and earth, the God who rules over all things, spoke to a man. He spoke to him. And folks, he knew his name. Though they had never, if we could say it this way, formally met, he knows his name. And he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. He identifies himself as the God of the patriarchs of Israel. I am a living God. You are not the first man I have spoken to. I am the God of Abraham and the guy, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And I want you to notice what this God says. He says, I indeed, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out, because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their sufferings. So I have come down. I, this is what God is saying. I have come down to rescue, excuse me, rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. Do you notice what's being said here? God says, I have seen. I have heard, I am concerned, I have come down, and I have come down to act on their behalf. Oh, folks, this morning, I want you to know that our God is an infinite and personal God who is intimately involved 
involved in the lives of his people. He is involved in our lives, whatever we may be going through right now. We serve a God who sees, a God who hears, a God who is concerned about our suffering. He knows our joys, he knows our suffering, and he acts on our behalf just as he has always acted on behalf of his people. But in the context of our message this morning, the shepherds knew that. They knew that. They knew that the God of Israel is a living God who hears and sees, a God who is concerned, a God who communicates, a God who knows their suffering, a God who has clearly revealed himself and prophetically said that one day a Messiah would come to be the Savior of the people. They knew that. They intelligently and reasonably understood that about God. So when God comes to them, when the angel speaks to them, they are afraid, but they're not totally surprised because this is how their God works. And so in verse 15, it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Notice which the Lord has made known to us. Now, God didn't directly speak to them. The angel did. It was from angel singular to the great multitude of the heavenly host. But the angel comes to them and says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And it says in verse 15 that the Lord has made known to us. They believe that the angel was a messenger, a spokesperson, bringing them a direct message from the God who sees, from the God who hears, and from the God who clearly communicates with his people. So in verse 16 it says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And as many times as we have heard it and preached on it and taught about it in Sunday school classes and in small groups, that phrase is amazing. And they went in haste. And they went in haste. They hurried. They didn't stand around saying, Who is this God? They knew. They didn't stand around and saying, do you really think we can believe this? Are we dreaming? Are we having some kind of vision here? Did this really just happen? No. No, because of the intelligence and reasonableness of their own faith, they understood that the God who sees and the God who hears and the God who clearly communicates had spoken to them. And so in verses 17 and 18 we read, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They not only went in haste and saw exactly what they expected to see, but they started telling everybody about it. The shepherds testified to what they saw. This is what God told us. We went and it was exactly as he said. It didn't matter how people responded. They were not concerned. In verse 18 it says, All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But that didn't matter. They 
testified and spoke the truth no matter what the response of others might be. And what an example for all of us this morning. In verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Oh, they go and they worship him. This God who sees and hears, this God who is concerned, this God who clearly communicates himself to people, to living human beings, they praise him and they worship him. He is exactly as he has revealed himself to be throughout the history of Israel and they are praising him. Oh, this is the God. This is the same God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and now and now he is appearing to us and speaking to us. Let us glorify him. Let us praise him for all we have heard and all we have seen. Folks, we must be very careful how we define human intelligence. These men, most likely based on what we know about them historically and culturally, these men were probably not well educated. They probably had no human academic credentials. As I mentioned before, they were looked down upon by the higher classes of people. But I want to submit to you this morning, they were intelligent men. They were intelligent, reasonable men. And they had an intelligence that was given to them by God, an intelligence that was exercised in great faith in the living God of Israel. Well, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to exercise an intelligent, reasonable, and well-thought-out faith in God and in his word. I want to say to every one of us this morning, do not be ashamed to fully engage your mind as a believer and never, ever be ashamed of what you believe. Never. You have an intelligent faith, I say to you this morning, a reasonable faith, because our God is infinitely intelligent and infinitely reasonable. We can look at the Word of God, we can ponder at the character of God and think about it intelligently and reasonably and not be ashamed or embarrassed in any way, shape, or form about what we believe or hold to as Christians. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and one of the Pharisees, who is a lawyer, asks Jesus a very important question. In Matthew chapter 22, and verses 36 and 37, we read this. Teacher, the lawyer says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Excellent question. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and now watch this, and with all your mind. You are to love God with all your mind. We never check out our minds. Folks, we do not have a blind faith. Well, I don't know if this is all really true, but I'm going to believe it anyway. Not at all. Don't ever, ever approach the Christian faith that way. You are, every one of you here, are intelligent people. And you can approach Scripture, the historical, verifiable Word of God. And you can approach it with great intelligence, with reasonableness, and it can be well thought out. 
because God has given you that capability. And you, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. I want to submit to you that we live in a world, we live in a culture where people are desperately searching for truth. We live in a culture right now that is very divided. I don't care whether you call it red state, blue state, conservative, liberal, however you want to determine it, however you want to define it, we live in a very divisive and uh, rancorous culture. And I'll tell you, people are looking for something to believe in. Read something interesting about uh, a month ago, and I thought, while it would, it, or while it would fit very well with this message, it comes from MarketWatch.com, which is a group that observes, analyzes cultural trends in our American cultural. And this is in our American culture, and this is what it says. It says interest in spirituality, astrology, and witchcraft is soaring among millennials. One study has even shown that over half, over half of young adults in the U.S. believe astrology is a science. And many young adults cannot tell the difference or do not know the difference between a false science like astrology and a real science like astronomy. They kind of use the words interchangeably, but they're searching. The psychic services industry, which involves things such as tarot cards or tarot card reading, palm reading, and mediums and astrology, has grown to become a $2 billion industry. That's billion with a B. A $2 billion industry. Now, I know that some of you are very familiar with the term millennial. Maybe some of you are not. Millennial, actually, if you look it up, is not clearly or in a hard and fast way defined by anyone. But those who originated the term millennial or the millennial generation define it as those young men and women who were born between 1982 and approximately the year 2000. They are those people who graduated from high school and came of age in the new millennium, thus coining the term the millennials. So roughly speaking, and again, there's no hard and fast way to define this, roughly speaking, millennials would be those right now who are in their very late teens, their 20s, and their early, very early 30s. That group of people, that generation. And among that generation, there is a soaring interest in spirituality, astrology, and witchcraft. Just this week, on Monday, on yahoo.com in their lifestyle section, it had an article about the rise of witchcraft, not just among millennials, but in all ages of adults, that there is an intriguing rise in interest in wiki, which would be the technical term for the so-called religion of witchcraft, and that they are seeing a dramatic increase in the purchase of books on an introduction or the introductory lessons on wiki 
and a dramatic increase in e-books on the subject of witchcraft. I tell you all of that simply to say, look around you. Look around you in our world. People are searching. They're searching for something. They're searching for anything that will give meaning or some semblance of truth to their lives. And folks, we have, we have an intelligent and reasonable faith. Let us tell them about it. Do not be ashamed to testify because people are looking everywhere into anything that will bring some kind of meaning to their lives. You have the answer. And you can communicate it to them in an intelligent and reasonable way. I would encourage you, first and foremost, to be great students of the Bible and to look with wonder into the Word of God over and over again. I would also encourage you to listen to some of the great apologists of our day, Christian apologists, and by that we mean those who defend the faith for a living, who do it on a regular basis. I will share with you one of the things that I do on a regular basis is I will read books and watch YouTube videos by Ravi Zacharias. I do. I just love to hear the way that he so intelligently and reasonably ties the Christian faith to the thoughts and philosophies of our world. But not just Ravi Zacharias. There are men like Norman Geisler, uh, Greg Kokel. I think of uh, Josh McDowell. And if, if some of you are familiar with him, he's been around a long time now doing a lot of work with his son, Sean. But just last month, our Book of the Month recommendation was the new evidence that demands a verdict, life-changing truth for a skeptical world. Josh McDowell first published his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, about the Christian faith back in 1972. He and his son, Sean, have now updated it and expanded it, and it is still a book that I would highly recommend for all of us, we have it in our church library. We have a copy there. And I simply am saying to you, listen to these men, read their works, and be reminded over and over again that you are an intelligent person and we have an intelligent faith. Folks, we serve the living God. We do. And he communicates with us through his word. He clearly has communicated to us and revealed himself to us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to think mystically. We can know. We can know him through his word and through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. You know something? This God knows your name. Just as he called Moses, Moses, he calls your name. He knows you. And if you know Christ as Savior, you have formally met. You have. You know him, and he knows you. And let me tell you something this morning. He sees you, and he hears you, and he is concerned about you. Right now, in whatever you are going through, and he has revealed to us his most wondrous and glorious work of all, and that is sending his son, Jesus Christ, to provide for us an all-sufficient and great salvation. And so I say to you, as disciples of Jesus, 
believe it. Believe it all. From the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation, exercise an intelligent, reasonable, well-thought-out faith in God and his word. Because if you are truly a disciple of Jesus, then you will exercise a great faith, an intelligent faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have created each and every one of us as reasonable people with thinking minds able to know you, to read how you have revealed yourself to us, to know you and to know through your word and through your work in our lives that right now you see us, you hear us, you are concerned about us. You know our joys. You know our sorrows. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being the great and glorious, majestic God that you are. Oh, like the shepherds, may we believe it all and may we go away worshiping and glorifying our great God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.